Are you looking for your next podcast binge to lose yourself in? Let me introduce you to a story that begins with sweet romance but quickly turns into betrayal and the far-reaching consequences of one man's deceit. It's an account told by the women whose lives were forever changed by it. You probably think the stories about you is a podcast hosted by Brittany Art. And it's not just another podcast. It's an exploration of self-discovery, growth, resilience, and healing. And it's all told in a unique format. And this is why I'm so excited about this one. This is Brittany's story, but she doesn't just host it like a podcast in the traditional sense. Through immersive soundscapes and the voices of the women affected by these events, this podcast creates such a unique experience experience that's going to make your headphones glow in the dark. I can't wait to get started and I hope you'll join me. Listen and follow. You'll probably think the stories about you wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you ever wonder what therapists talk about over coffee? Well, we're three clinical psychologists, Dr. Diana Hill, Dr. Ray Littlewood, and Dr. Debbie Sorensen, and we'd like to welcome you to Psychologists Off the Clock. In this podcast, you'll get a glimpse into the books we read, the research we think is interesting, and the ideas from psychology that we use to thrive in our own lives. Our webpage is www.offtheclockpsych.com, and there you can find resources we mention in this episode, as well as other podcasts we've posted. You can also find us on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Ray Littlewood, and today on the podcast, I'm going to be continuing my conversation with my friend and colleague, Dr. Liza Mermelstein. Hi, Liza. Hi, Ray. Great to be back. Yeah, last week we talked a lot about the relationship between hormones and mood. Uh, for women in particular. And today we're going to be continuing that conversation, but shifting our perspective to talking about the changes that accompany pregnancy. So we're going to start off by talking a little bit about um, what kind of um, hormone changes accompany trying to conceive and pregnancy. And then we're also going to be talking about postpartum adjustment um, related to the hormone changes um, and also the stressors that come with um, being a new parent. I think that pregnancy can be a very exciting time, um, but it also can be very stressful and there's a lot of hormonal changes that occur sort of during, during the prenatal and then postpartum period. Um, more hormones than a woman will ever experience in her lifetime. Absolutely. Last time on, on the first part of this episode, on part one of hormones and mood, we talked about the changes in hormones that occur during a normal menstrual cycle and then when those changes um, lead to more severe mood symptoms. For example, in premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So got some good information. If you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen. Um, we're just going to recap a little bit by talking about the changes that are happening in the menstrual cycle when you're trying to conceive. So first, if you think about a normal uh, menstrual cycle that occurs over the course of around 28 days, the first 10 days are the period of time where 
um, you're relatively infertile, and your hormones overall are pretty low. So FSH, estrogen, and progesterone are the main hormones that are changing during your cycle. And during the early part of your cycle, those are all pretty low. Around day 10, estrogen starts to increase, and that is the fertile phase of your cycle. Estrogen gradually increases over about four or five days, and during the average cycle, a woman will ovulate around day 14, which is accompanied by a spike in luteinizing hormone. At that time, if you do conceive, then estrogen continues to increase. So during a cycle where you don't conceive, after that, um, after you ovulate, estrogen will, will fall. And as we talked about last time, that's the period of fluctuation with estrogen that can be associated with premenstrual syndrome. So we're gonna be focusing today on the changes that happen when you do conceive. So first and foremost, when you conceive, there's a huge increase in HCG, and that is the hormone that pregnancy tests detect. So if anybody listening has been pregnant before, you know that when you're in those early days of your pregnancy and you're, um, if you're going to the doctor to get blood tests, HCG levels are what are reported um, and change in HCG during the first couple of weeks of pregnancy are really looked at to um, determine sort of the viability of the pregnancy. Um, after that period of about three months, HCG starts to decrease and estrogen and progesterone during those first three months are gradually increasing. But really the, the largest increase is in HCG and that's what produces those early pregnancy symptoms that can be so disruptive to a woman. Um, things like fatigue and breast soreness and Morning sickness. Morning sickness, yes. Um, so throughout pregnancy, estrogen and progesterone are both gradually increasing and will reach the highest levels that a woman will experience at any time during her life right before giving birth. And um, the reason that these um, hormones are increasing so much is that they are um, the placenta is the major source of progesterone and estrogen, which means that these hormones drop off within hours of delivery. And the effect of this sudden hormone change is much more intense than the premenstrual drop in estrogen and progesterone. And at the same time, other hormones also drop off in the few, first few hours and days after delivery. Um, those hormones are things like prolactin, cortisol, HCG, and endorphins. Yes, yeah, so um, Ray, we, as we talked about last time, there is a lot of hormonal change going on. And for some women who are more sensitive to hormonal change, this can be a risk period for experiencing disruptive mood symptoms. So, you know, it, um, you tend to be at higher risk for something like um, prenatal or postpartum depression if you also um, 
experienced uh, mood-related symptoms in relationship to sort of your normal menstrual cycle. So if you mm -hmm. were someone who was diagnosed with severe um, PMS or PMDD, then um, you're also at risk for experiencing a mood-related disorder during pregnancy or postpartum. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, really I think that there's a lot of focus on postpartum depression, but um, at least half of postpartum depression begins prenatally. Um, and the prevalence of prenatal depression is almost as high as postpartum depression. Um, it can be really difficult to assess prenatal depression because so many of the symptoms of a normal pregnancy kind of mimic depression, you know? So kind of having difficulty sleeping, changes in appetite, really low energy, poor concentration. Um, and so often prenatal depression is misattributed to, oh, that's just pregnancy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's unfortunate because this can be a period of time when proper treatment can really help uh, decrease the likelihood of postpartum depression. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, kind of um, having an infrastructure, if you're somebody who has a history of either a mood or anxiety disorder um, prior to pregnancy, having that infrastructure in place, either a therapist or a psychiatrist, and talking about, you know, sort of, like you said, the risks of um, what that come with pregnancy um, is really a good idea for heading off mm -hmm. the risk for postpartum depression. Yeah, and I think that one of the benefits of uh, psychotherapy and going through sort of like a cognitive behavioral treatment for depression or like that is that you have tools which can then decrease the likelihood of sort of a relapse in the future and so even if you maybe went through treatment for depression sort of in the past and then you're planning on conceiving or you know you are are pregnant then maybe just getting a little bit of kind of some booster sessions that can help you sort of remember some of the skills that were helpful when you struggled with depression in the past to really utilize during this sort of higher risk period can be really helpful I think in sort of heading this off. Yeah yeah and to add to that if you're seeing somebody who is you know who is educated in reproductive mental health then they'll also be able to talk to you like we're going to talk today about what the what the reality is of mood changes um, pre and post pregnancy. Um, so, for example, um, most women experience what are called baby blues. And those can also be called um, postpartum blues, and that is the result of the. Um, dramatic drop in estrogen and progesterone following delivery. Coupled with sort of adjustment to new parenthood and sort of the sleep deprivation that, mm -hmm. that comes along with that in those first couple of days. And, and most women are going to experience this. Usually it occurs during the first two weeks following delivery, but many women describe new changes in sort of the first 24 to 48 hours following delivery. And this is totally normal. Um, symptoms can include, you know, crying for no reason, sort of emotional uh, lability, mild irritability and frustration, sort of feelings of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed. Um, and, and, you know, it's important not to pathologize this, that this is normal, getting some help, maybe getting a nap, um, you know, getting outside of the house, that these are all really helpful ways to kind of deal 
deal with this normal um, change in hormones and adjustment to this um, new life phase. Yeah, so like you said, Liza, the um, symptoms of um, the uh, very common baby blues um, look like um, dramatic sort of mood mood swings um, from crying seemingly for no reason or feeling sad or overwhelmed. Um, but what kind of differentiates um, baby blues from something to be more concerned about, um, which is the development of postpartum depression, is that generally speaking, it lasts a pretty short period of time. Like you said, I think it resolves in usually about two weeks. And there will also be periods um, during those mood swings of, um, you know, your mood swinging the other direction, that you're, you know, sort of overwhelmed with joy and amazement for your newborn and, um, and you know, really, um, really able to sort of see the bigger picture that this is, um, this is just a, um, a change in emotion that may be hormonally related and nothing to be um, panicked about and having support around you during that time um, that sort of reinforces that message that this is normal and that um, that we're here to sort of be on that uh, roller coaster with you. Many women wonder how postpartum depression um, is different from depression and how to differentiate those baby blues from the development of postpartum depression. Um, and just one thing to note, Ray, is that you know postpartum depression is um, not in itself a diagnosis, but it's a sort of specifier for a depressive disorder that is sort of specified as with peripartum onset. And what this means is that the onset is either during pregnancy or in the four weeks postpartum. Okay. And, and so then, you know, thinking about it clinically and maybe a little bit of kind of what we see and what our experience has been, um, there are things that do differentiate sort of um, a postpartum depression from sort of depression at another point in a, in a woman's life. And, you know, that has to do with sort of some of the um, what else is occurring at this time, you know, bringing home the baby. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So the ways in which postpartum depression really is different from clinical depression during another um, phase of life um, is that it's occurring um, during this time um, in this context of motherhood, um, which um, is a context that is driven by this sort of lifelong accumulation of expectations about what that's going to be like. Your dreams and values and hopes and beliefs, both about giving birth and what that's going to be like, and then also what your relationship with the baby is going to be like, what it's going to be like to be a mom. And there's this myth that the postpartum period is just delightful and that women who struggle from postpartum depression really have to struggle with the disappointments of those expectations that you may have built up over your life. You know, there's lots of feedback from your environment um, which really suggests to you that this should be, you know, this period of elation. You know, people are saying things like, aren't you just thrilled? Isn't having a baby so wonderful? And oh, so much of the attention is on how 
and the baby, right? Um, and that can really lead to some sense of guilt for having those kind of less than ecstatic thoughts. Um, the second difference for postpartum depression in relation to clinical depression at other phases um, is that this is happening at the most demanding time of a woman's life. It's an overwhelming responsibility for caring for the infant, chronic sleep deprivation, and the stress of physically healing after birth can really exacerbate the symptoms of depression and make recovery more difficult. And the stakes are really high. Um, people who are experiencing symptoms of postpartum depression worry about how that's going to impact their baby, um, bonding with the baby, future ideas about having more children, nursing, um, and just, you know, how am I as a mother? Yeah, I think that because there are so many sort of expectations that um, can come from so many different directions placed on, you know, new mothers, then it can be really stigmatizing to kind of acknowledge and seek help for postpartum depression. Um, so as a result, you know, not only is sort of guilt um, and sort of disproportional guilt one of the symptoms of depression, but then you have this idea of what does this mean about me as a mother? And particularly if you had previous kind of expectations about what kind of mother you were going to be, that makes it really hard. I know that both Ray and I have had conversations about just sort of culturally now, what are some of the implications of, you know, women waiting longer to have children, um, you know, more women dealing with sort of infertility treatments. And, and sometimes the by the time that you have your first child, there's been so many years to, to kind of build up kind of expectations and maybe lots of time of frustrations of thinking, oh, if only I had a baby, I would be happy. Mm -hmm. And so then if you're not feeling happy all of the time, um, that can be really, really challenging. Yeah, yeah, that's a really important point, Liza. I think there's a lot of research that looks at parental satisfaction or satisfaction of being a parent um, at different phases um, during life. And, um, and definitely, as we have seen the rates of first pregnancy um, move further further down uh, a woman's lifespan. So more women are having children in their late 30s and early 40s. It's a different context and it can be one where you have either sort of gotten to that point because you've struggled along the way with infertility or it may just be that you've delayed having children because of um, other goals and responsibilities like a career. And so just the context that it's happening in is um, is really different um, depending on what your experiences have been leading up to having a baby. And I think it's, um, you know, some of the research that looks at sort of uh, satisfaction with kind of children um, in the U.S. really kind of highlights how compared to other developed countries, you know, we have such poor support for parents, you know. Um, I don't think it's news to anyone mm -hmm. <laughs> that, you know, we're one of the only countries that, you know, doesn't have um, yeah. sort of parental leave practices and, and that sort of thing are not 
um, not feeling like you have job security, not feeling like you're able to kind of take the time that you need to bond with your baby, mm-hmm. um, you know, financial pressures, you know, giving birth can be very expensive and um, all of those things I think can contribute to just this difficulty in adjustment. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Transition in our conversation that it's not just depression that can become a problem in the postpartum phase. Um, general anxiety and specific types of anxiety like obsessive compulsive disorder um, are more and more uh, acknowledged as problems postpartum. So, in talking about anxiety disorders after childbirth, we, we've already talked extensively about postpartum depression, and most often that occurs as a primary illness by itself. However, there's also related anxiety disorders that can either accompany or follow postpartum depression. Postpartum anxiety syndromes have been getting more attention and are now more understood to be a part of postpartum depression. So panic disorder and OCD and can be diagnosed during and after pregnancy and can also be exacerbated by childbirth. So there's a lot of overlap between postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and many women with anxiety during this period say they've always been worriers. So it's common, just like with depression, for women who have a history of anxiety to experience a worsening of these symptoms during the postpartum period. And, and so I think, you know, again, with kind of mood-related issues, you know, it's really normal to be anxious when you are bringing home a, an infant, yeah. right? Um, you know, it's really common for parents to kind of wake up in the middle of the night to check that the baby is still breathing, you know? And so yeah. that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about sort of anxiety to the point where sort of frequent checking on the baby, worrying about the baby's safety is gets to the point where you're not able to do anything else other than think about the baby and how to keep it safe, you know? This often is accompanied by kind of high levels of seeking reassurance, you know, maybe lots of visits or calls to the pediatrician, mm-hmm. you know, not able to take care of yourself, you know, it's normal mm-hmm. to experience sleep deprivation, and, but, you know, typically when the baby's sleeping, um, you know, if there's a high level of anxiety, then maybe mom isn't able to sleep even the, during those periods. Right, and then that sort of feeds this, you know, really negative cycle of the more sleep deprived you are, the more anxious you are, the more sort of unrealistic you might be about um, specific threats to safety, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And when you get into that sort of distorted, um, really overwhelmed, anxious um, period of time, it can be really helpful to have people who are on the sidelines who can step in and help or can at least identify when Um, things are getting a little bit too um, extreme in your thinking. Um, But for some people that, you know, that perspective from the outside isn't um, isn't available. And so, you know, this podcast today is really for for all of those people, right? So if you are somebody who are who is experiencing anxiety in the context of being a new parent, we really want to talk about how do you know when you've sort of crossed the line and you need to get help. 
Yeah, and um, I think similarly with um, postpartum OCD, you know, again, it's really common to experience sort of obsessional or scary thoughts about the newborn. You know, upwards of 90% of new parents will report some sort of thought, you know, I'm going to drop my baby. And the thoughts themselves, this is super common and kind of, I think, a a uh, way that we're just sort of adjusting to new parenthood and yeah. having this helpless helpless newborn. And um, many of those thoughts continue, right? It's not just about having an infant. It's just the responsibility of being a parent and, you know, is are both my kids in their car seats or have I left one on the, you know, the floor of the garage and I'm going to back over them. I mean, I'm not, I'm laughing while I say that because I think about that literally every time I pull out of the garage and I go very slowly pulling out of the garage because even though I know I've put both of them in the car seat, there's this part of me that's like, that just has this, um, this really uncomfortable image in my mind of something bad happening to my kid. And um, and so that's, you know, I hope really normal. <laughs> I think it is. No, right. It really is. And it's sort of not not the presence of thoughts that's, that's problematic. It's how you respond to those thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. if you were to tell me that, well, I've stopped driving because I'm terrified that I'm going to run over my child, right. um, then I'd say, okay, well, let's let's talk about that a little yeah, bit. And yeah. so it's really how you respond to your thoughts that's going to be, um, uh, that's going to determine whether this becomes sort of something that really is in need yeah. of clinical intervention. Right. Yeah, I think another example, Liza and I have been talking about lately because both of us have children that we're trying to get to sleep through the night. And that's this really, you know, fun, <laughs> exhausting period of time where it's there's a double-edged sword, right? When they sleep through the night, there is this thought when you wake up in the morning and they, and you, you know, you've slept for an unexpectedly long period of time that you're sort of listening for, uh, uh-oh, right? <laughs> um, and so the ability to sort of like lay in bed for and sort of tolerate that uh-huh. question rather than jump up and immediately go check to make sure that right. your kid is breathing, like that's kind of Mm-hmm. Sort of one example of where to draw the line, right? right. Like that's kind of you. If you go in, then you probably wake them up, right? <laughs> so, right. So being exactly. able to tolerate that, you know, un- uncertain thoughts that really um, you just have to kind of, yeah, yeah, tolerate. yeah. You have to tolerate and sort of trust. And mm-hmm. after enough, um, you know, enough sort of experiences of. You know, a couple minutes later, you hear them wake up, or an hour later, you hear them wake mm-hmm. up, and you, you know, that sort of right. gets normalized over yeah. time. So, in the next section, I think we're going to transition to talk a little bit more about this decision about when is something a problem. And we just talked about that in relation to anxiety and kind of like the obsessions that come with obsessive thinking and checking that can be a normal part of adjusting that you do need to sort of be able to to determine when something has become a problem and then what are the um, treatment options for either postpartum depression or anxiety. Pediatrician is the usual place that I think a lot of new parents start and and pediatricians are a great resource for being able to normalize 
you know, what kinds of problems you should be going to the pediatrician for and what kinds of problems you can deal with at home without a doctor visit. Mm -hmm. There's also a lot of resources on the internet for postpartum depression. Um, so um, postpartum.net is the postpartum international support alliance that has resources for um, new parents and also um, listings for um, support groups in your area that you can check out. So I think the overall message with thinking about whether or not this is something I need to get help with is that there are many, many different things that are recommended to deal with postpartum adjustment issues. Some of the ideas that are out there that we are going to talk about today are um, getting support in the house, um, sleep restoration, getting a professional consultation, and also pharmacological interventions. And so you can think about all of these things sort of on kind of a spectrum. Maybe when if you acknowledge that you're, you know, just having a lot, a lot of worries and, you know, maybe your your partner or a parent or a friend is saying, you know, yeah, that seems like seems like you're worrying a lot, you know, then then maybe you first sort of seek out some more kind of informal support. Maybe you find support group in the community, like Ray mentioned, or for something that'll just give you some, some reference points. Mm -hmm. um, I know that was helpful for me, even that, you know, Ray, her youngest, is about a year older than my son, so sometimes I'd say, you know, is this normal? <laughs> or, yeah. you know, and that, for me, was um, really helpful to kind of get some perspective. But when you're somebody who thinks that you might have postpartum depression, it can be kind of, it can feel kind of stigmatizing to talk about some of the more intense thoughts and feelings that you experience. Um, you know, obviously we're both psychologists, so <laughs> I don't think there's any, you know, threat in talking about um, some of the more difficult parts of um, adjusting as a new mom. Um, but some people don't have that, you know, that in their lives. Um, there's a book that I really um, recommend to patients um, that's called This Isn't What I Expected um, by Kleinman and Raskin. System, if you, if you have a good support system, and, you know, maybe you can try some self-help books. And, and then it might be time to kind of contact a, a specialist. And, you know, that could be in the form of kind of talking to your pediatrician and getting some recommendations, looking online for sort of a, a therapist or a psychologist, you know, contacting your primary care physician. And yeah, and, and you know, there's different um, resources depending on the types of um, difficulties that you're having. So, so breastfeeding and difficulties with breastfeeding, if that can be a major stressor. And if you're already experiencing some postpartum depression or anxiety, and then on top of that, you have difficulties with nursing, getting some help specifically with nursing, you know, going to um, the national support organizations for, for breastfeeding, um, local organizations, um, oftentimes birth centers or hospitals will have breastfeeding support available. So a couple of things that are recommended for additional support when you are experiencing either signs that you might be experiencing postpartum depression or you're actually experiencing postpartum depression, a couple of things are getting support in the home and also sleep restoration. Yeah, so sometimes, it, particularly in more mild forms of postpartum depression, just getting 
four to five hours of uninterrupted sleep for a few days in a row can be enough to really kind of start um, recovery. And so, you know, this, this, you need to be kind of creative about how you're going to do this, you know, particularly if you're breastfeeding, but you know, something, some way that this might look is that maybe there's a certain part of the night um, that, you know, you are sleeping in a different room, a different room from, you know, the baby, maybe a different room from your spouse and, you know, someone, a spouse or a parent or, you know, a hired mommy helper or, mm-hmm. or postpartum doula could, you know, bring, um, bring your baby into you when um, he or she needs to nurse and then, you know, takes the baby back when, when he or she is finished and, you know, does all the other care, you know, the mm-hmm. diaper changes, the mm-hmm. kind of rocking or her, the yeah. walking around, and you can really be sort of focused on just sleeping and nursing when that right. need occurs. Right, right. And that, you know, that can be helpful at any phase. I think oftentimes people are really focused on, you know, those two weeks to a month postpartum um, as this, you know, everybody's sort of attending to the new parents and coming in to visit. And, um, and really, you know, the period of risk for postpartum depression extends past a month, right? It can be within um, the first three to six months after delivery. And so I know a lot of parents experience sort of this roller coaster of stress related to people coming to help or visit. Um, and um, periods of time where it might feel like things are getting better and then um, and then maybe you lose some of the support that you had and um, and sort of the reality hits that um, whoa I'm not getting enough sleep and I can't think straight and me and my partner are you know at each other's throat I had this agreement I always would say to Dave what happens at three in the morning stays at three in the morning (laughs) there are times where you're just like I don't you know you're just are really you know expletive expletive because you're just so tired right so yeah and then um sort of setting up an appointment with a psychologist or a therapist and you know, now there's a lot of information that you can find out online, but, you know, also um, often just kind of asking some questions to find out if the person is going to be a good fit for you. You know, what type of orientation they have, have they worked with, um, you know, specifically with postpartum depression or anxiety or whatever it is that you're dealing with and um, finding finding someone yeah. who can help support you. In this yeah, process. and then, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, jump right to that question of like, oh my gosh, am I going to have to take medication? And, you know, medication during um, during pregnancy and postpartum, if you're nursing, um, is a really complicated issue. So, um, you know, the first step is to see somebody who's qualified to help you make the diagnosis. Um, and the second step is to, you know, to sort of look at is talk therapy alone enough? And oftentimes it is. If And then there's some, you know, forms of postpartum depression where, all the talk therapy and, you know, support in the world just doesn't touch it and medication becomes um, really necessary and can really be helpful in a short period of time. Right. Yeah, and I, I always kind of advise people just kind of consider all your options, you know, even if you go and, you know, meet with a psychiatrist, um, that still doesn't commit you to taking medication if it's something that you decide, well, after hearing all the information and weighing the options, 
um, I'm going to make the decision not to take medication, but um, just kind of finding out what's out there. I think there's more and more evidence that, you know, taking medication kind of um, during pregnancy and postpartum, certain medications, you know, there's different risk risk factors, but um, risk profiles, but certain medications are, are pretty safe. And, you know, I think the bottom line is that untreated depression or untreated mental health is, um, that's what we want to avoid. Yeah. Yeah, and so for people who've had um, experiences um, taking an antidepressant, for example, prior to pregnancy, if you've had some success with that, then most likely taking that same medication um, postpartum will be effective. In in severe forms of postpartum depression, you know, it often is going to be most effective to, um, you know, have some combination of um, medication and talk therapy. Yeah. But, but these are questions that, you know, finding a provider who you can kind of um, talk these things out with is can be really, really important. Yeah, I think just to make it clear, um, certain symptoms such as loss of concentration, severe insomnia, confusion, extreme indecisiveness, and suicidal thoughts or severe feelings of guilt can really make it difficult for talk therapy alone to be effective. And so medication can often stabilize these symptoms enough to allow you to kind of invest more energy in your psychological care. Um, Today we've talked about the relationship between hormones and mood um, during the prenatal and postpartum periods of a woman's life. And it's been really fun to get together and talk with you again, Liza. Definitely. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you for having me. We'll be putting up some resources on our website um, to give you more information and direction on postpartum depression and anxiety and check it out. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes. You can also find us at www.offtheclockpsych.com. That's offtheclockpsych.com. Music by John Goo and Susie Stevens.